Sundays with a global Greek influence bring a different perspective to currently fragmented notions in science and philosophy, technology and politics, but not limited to and by them. Medicine and psychology are both sciences. Would a dentist quit her job to become a psychologist? What could trigger such a decision? What does such a decision deliver to one and many lives? Dr. Menia Theodoru is the best person to talk to about redefining the present, the future, and us. Memnia is a dentist, an adventurer, coach, motivational speaker, and a positive psychology trainer. She's the creator of the Courage to Lead newsletter. She became the first Cypriot to sail for over 18,000 miles from the UK to Australia in five months. With minimal sailing experience, she took the opportunity to go for the Clipper Round the World Yacht Race, which invited teams of amateurs and provided their training. Memnia describes on her website, memniatheodoru.com, that she decided to walk away from her comfort zone, that of an emotionally abusive relationship, her unbearable, new, at that time, unsupportive manager at her dentistry practice, and the family tragedy. Memnia will talk us through her lessons of her journey from dentistry through sailing to psychology and give us a taste of how to live our lives. Welcome to the show, Memnia. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be speaking to Greeks worldwide and not only. Thank you. Thank you, Memnia. I hope you're well. Let me start with your sailing experience and actually after your sailing experience. You returned to Cyprus and were nominated for the Greek International Women's Award in the sports category and invited mm-hmm. to share your experience as a speaker at TEDx Nicosia, which our listeners can find on YouTube. Listening to your TEDx talk in Nicosia about your sailing journey, I started to wonder Do we need to be fully prepared before starting a journey? Mm. This is a great question. Um, I think the best way to look at it is a quote I found on a, an, on a journal paper while I was doing my master thesis. We will come to that later, perhaps. But because of my interest in adventure, exploration, high-risk sports, and emotional growth, The combination of those sports and emotional growth, this, this was very relevant to my master thesis. So I was reading a paper that examined and explored what it means to go into these adventures. And the tagline was going knowingly into the unknown. So knowing that you will enter the zone of the unknown. So you have to be prepared. This is how I think about it. You have to be prepared um, physically, emotionally, do your training. You have to practice, get coaches and mentors, but they can only prepare you up to so much. They cannot prepare you for when you actually go into the unknown. So this element will always um, come through. There will always be an element of unknown. So you can never be fully prepared, but I think it's wise to try to be as prepared as possible when it comes to your physical situation and getting the coaching and mentoring that you need before such a trip. Yeah. Given your circumstances back then, when you decided to sail, you had to give up everything. One might have thought that they might lose their entire lives. Do we need to lose everything to find ourselves? Well, that's, Definitely how I felt at that point. The reason why I signed up is because I was in a, such a low place in my life. You've mentioned a little bit in your intro, but just so people know in case they don't know me, that year, within one year, I had lost my sister to cancer. I left a, an emotionally abusive or toxic relationship. And I had a manager who was a bully, a new manager at work. And she made work life unbearable. And also I had a house deal that fell through. And all of this happened in just that one year. Needless to say, a horrible year for me. And I felt that I lost it all, to be honest. So I was rock bottom. So signing up on this race, which is life-threatening as well, you know, it's a potentially you're risking your life. It's an extreme sport, sailing, 
uh, in the oceans, in the open ocean with no one to save you if you can, if you need to. No one can come to your rescue. So it's a life-threatening sport. But I felt that I was so low that even if I lost my life, it wasn't much of a big deal because that's exactly how I felt, that I lost everything in my life. Uh, a partnership, family members, you know, my, the house deal, my job. I lost everything. So what more could it be if I lost my life too? I was in such a low place. And they say that great change comes where, where, you know, when you hit rock bottom, when you're trying to escape something really bad, or when you've been inspired by something really, really good. So change can happen when you've met someone or you've experienced something so positive that you want to have it in your life all the time. So, so it's not just when we've gone through horrible tragedies and it's not just when we've hit rock bottom that we can change our lives. Also when we get inspired, although I have to say, I feel that the first one is more common. We have to hit rock bottom and then we wake up. Some of us wake up, let's say. Um, but otherwise you can be thoroughly inspired by someone and change your life. We will talk about uh, getting out of our comfort zone a little bit later. By listening again to your TEDx uh, Nicosia speech, I realized that having a team that supports you towards a common goal is very important, like the team you were with during your yachting trip from uh, the UK to Australia. Why is it important to choose the people to accompany us in life? I mean, I think you said it best, like it depends a lot on your team. I had a very supportive team. And you have to remember that I had just left a toxic relationship and a toxic work environment. So where I was, it was really bad for me, the environment I was in, the people that I had surrounded myself with. So it was to the total contrast of that, I suddenly found myself on a boat full, full with people who were happy to be supportive And not only that, they were happy to pick me up and they believed in me more than I believed in myself. So I think this is a crucial point because at that point, when I entered the race, I didn't think I could sail that boat. I didn't think I would become the first Cypriot to sail all the way to Australia. It was because I was surrounded by a great team and a great skipper, may I say, because he was an example of a leader and he encouraged us and he never made us think that he thought that we couldn't make it. He gave everyone equal, an equal chance. And the great thing was that whenever we were all trying to sail the boat, you know, hold the helm on our hands, and it was the first time we were trying to sail such a huge boat, it's a very large boat, he would never criticize us. He would stand behind us while he was training us, and he would be like, well, after watching us for a bit, he would say things like, why don't you try this next time? So he had a very positive approach. And little by little, you build your competency and you felt that you could actually handle that boat and you could handle the sailing elements. So um, that's why I think it's very important to keep an eye out on who we surround ourselves with. It's crucial on how far we're going to go, how we feel about, about ourselves, our self-esteem. And also about our financial goals as well. They say that you'll be as rich as the people you surround yourselves with. We tend to repeat what we hear, even if we don't think about it. And even if we don't agree at the first time with something that we hear, if we stick around it long enough, we might actually start believing it in the end. Uh, and this is what a toxic relationship can do to you when someone calls you names or they um, diminish you or they uh, doubt you or they make you think that you can't achieve much. Initially, you might resist it and you might say, no, that's not like it. I'm, I'm not like that. But then if they repeat it often enough and you are there often enough, you'll eventually start believing it. And to the contrary, if you surround yourself with people who believe in you and they keep encouraging you and they support you and they train you, it's much more likely that you will achieve more, you will reach more, you become wealthier and healthier. So I think it's crucial 
to surround ourselves with people we want to emulate. So if the people who we have around us don't lead the kind of lives we aspire for ourselves, then we need to reconsider who we surround ourselves with. After returning from your sailing journey, which was a life-changing experience for you, have you realized what makes us not to follow our dreams? Oh, many fears. <laughs> many fears. I'll start with the fear of failure. So this is the, you know, the most common. We, we don't go for our dreams because we are afraid people will laugh at us uh, or that we will be embarrassed or what will people think of us or what if we lose money or what if this is a futile dream. So that's the fear of failure. And then there is also the fear of success. People don't talk about this very often, but what if I succeed and I can't handle it? What if it overwhelms me? What if it gets too much and I can't cope? So that's the fear of success, you know, so you hold yourself back from reaching successful levels because you worry whether you will be able to handle it or not. So and, and another thing that I would say is that people are not clear on the on their dreams. They say they have dreams, but sometimes they just have wishes. They have wishful thinking, but they're not actually dreams, because if you don't have a plan, it's just a wish. It's not a dream. And sometimes they haven't sat through to think their lives ahead. They haven't sat through to, to, see, to say, uh, how do I want my life to look like in 10 years time, in five years time, in 20 years time? How do I envision my life and why? What is important to me? And what do I need to be doing now so it helps me to be there in 10 years time? So people lack clarity and a coach can help you with clarity This is one of the reasons why I learned how to become a coach, because people don't have clarity. You ask them, what do you want from your life? And you know what most people reply, what they don't want. They say, well, I don't want to be in a job that's da 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 and I don't want to have a relationship that it's like that. And you ask them, okay, this is the things that you don't want, but what do you want? Many times we just get so focused on the negativity in our lives, what we don't want to be around. What do we actually want? And, you know, wherever uh, our focus goes, energy flows. This is Tony Robbins who says that. When people don't have clarity where it is they want to go, it doesn't help them go for their dreams. They're not dreams, really. They're just wishes. Many of us, when we don't feel happy, everything around us might seem hazy and feel like we have lost ourselves. So maybe it's not really easy to see what our life goals are. And because we do not see who we are, we really are at that moment. What would be the first steps towards identifying oneself life goals? Well, the first thing that I have to say is that if for whatever reason you are in a hazy moment, let's say that you're feeling lost The first thing that I would say is to allow yourself to experience that emotion. There might be a reason behind it. Maybe like me, you lost someone you love or you lost your job or you're unhappy at your work or your relationship doesn't fulfill you. So the first thing that I would say, and actually positive psychology says that as well in the sense that um, when people hear that I've studied positive psychology, they very often assume that it's about positive thinking and just having positive emotions, whereas Positive psychology very clearly states that negative emotions are also necessary because they give you information about what you didn't like in your life, what made you angry, what violated your boundaries. Uh, it helps you course correct. So the first thing that I would say is don't rush yourself to jump out of that haziness. Maybe it's something you need to experience. Maybe you need to grieve the loss of, of someone or something or your job. So experience the emotions and try to see what they're telling you. But if you see that this is something that lingers in your life, it's been long enough and you can't get out of it. Well, definitely, I'd say try to seek support, professional support. If you need to get over something um, of the past, something that holds you back or a trauma that you haven't recovered from, try to see a psychologist, a therapist, a counselor, whatever that might be. But if you feel you've done your healing and just you don't know where to head next, again, I would say 
try to find a coach. They will help you lay everything out. Will, they will help you make the pathway clear. The, it will be a space where you can brainstorm your ideas. You can be honest and authentic and vulnerable in front of someone who is not going to judge you. Because sometimes when we try to externalize to our friends what we might want, it might be something different from what we did before, especially if we have gone through a hazy period, a difficult period, and we want something different. Most of, our most of the times, our friends cannot really understand that need because their lives have not been changed. And this is what I experienced when I went through um, the troubles, let's say, that I had in my life. Um, I had some friends by my side, thankfully, and I'm very grateful for that. They couldn't really understand the, the state I was in. They couldn't understand why I needed to go on a sailing boat. So sometimes it's difficult to externalize to close loved ones our thoughts. Someone who is more independent from your life, it's a bit like an external observer. And then they can guide you to find yourself. That's a, I, I, that will be my advice. Now, if you're not in such a difficult state, let's say, and you just want to find your goals, what I would say is just to write down all the areas that you want to improve in your life. So write them all out, whatever it is important to you, you know, health, physical health, emotional health, relationships, partner, kids, uh, personal development, career, whatever, whatever is important to you. Just write all the categories out and then rate yourself from one to 10. Where do you score? And have a good look at it and just be frank with yourself if you like what you see or not. And then pick one or maximum two categories that you want to work on that if you improved, the others would um, change as well. Because obviously everything is connected in our lives. If you improve your health, maybe you'll get more money because you're more energetic and you can go out and work more. So all the categories are connected to each other. So this is a simple exercise. You evaluate yourself, have a hard, honest look on that evaluation, and then pick one or two areas that if they were to improve, it they would have the biggest impact on the other areas as well. And we can't focus on all the areas all in once. We can't. It's not possible. You need to focus on one or maximum two areas. So pick one or two and start working on those. That's what I would say. Living an unhappy life, even though we might feel that we live in our comfort zone, deep down it makes us feel uncomfortable. Why is it often difficult to find the courage and determination to get out of our comfort zone? Well, I think it's in the name. <laughs> comfort zone is comfortable. And I think it's mostly the fear of the unknown. Uh, getting out of the comfort zone, we don't know where we're headed. And as humans, we try to protect ourselves from, from harm. So what if you go out there and you harm yourself? You risk money or your life or your health or your friendships or your relationship. What if you change something and you lose something? So it, it's the fear of the unknown and fear of being stretched too much. And sometimes we refer to this as the... Um, well, you can call it the delusion zone or the panic zone, we call it sometimes. So outside the comfort zone, it's the stretch zone. So this is where you stretch your limits and you become wiser and you gain knowledge and you become stronger. But if you do, if you place goals or dreams too big, then you're overstretching yourself and you go into the panic zone. So this is what we think. We think that going outside our comfort zone, we will end up in the panic zone and we forget that we can take smaller steps. And again, this is where a coach can help you. Just break it down. You don't have to jump from where you are now to where you envision to be in 10 years. You don't have to be tomorrow where some somebody else took 10 years to get to. So sometimes this paralyzes us and we are very scared to take a step. And as human beings, we are wired to think of the negative scenarios because if we go out and something great happens, that's fantastic. But if we go out and something negative happens, it could be catastrophic. So we are wired to want to protect ourselves. So that's why we worry too much of changing something. And, and something else from a neurobiological point of view, um, the neural pathways in our brains, 
get more dense when we try new things. But very often we avoid trying new things and these pathways just uh, keep, we, we just keep going over and over the same pathways and we establish them and, and these pathways, the networks, they become so established established that we don't often want to take the side way, a different path, pathway. And whenever we try to do that, our brain and our body, they shout and keep screaming, where are you going? This is a sideway. Just come back to the main highway of the, of the neurons of the brain. So it's very difficult for our brains and for our cells and for our body to go the other way. They want the, the road of least resistance, the path of least resistance. But it's not that change cannot happen. We can learn and grow and learn new ways. And actually, the more we try the new ways, the more comfortable they become. It just takes some time. But at first, it's very difficult. And every time we tried, it was difficult. And so we're like, well, we might as well stay in the comfort zone. Very important that you underlined that our thoughts are physical, translated by our neurons and how lazy these neurons might become if we don't try out new things. Then mm -hmm. I was thinking when it comes to overstretching our dreams, sometimes people feel because uh, they have been trapped in their comfort zone for let's say 10, 15 years in a marriage, in a job uh, that was not productive, uh, the environment was not... Uh, supportive, they might feel that as soon as they break out of their comfort zone that they're going to achieve soon enough uh, what they were dreaming about for the years they lost in their life. So yes, maybe it's actually the hard realization of not having uh, lived their dream life uh, and maybe they just uh, start panicking to to catch up with their lives. I don't, I don't remember who said this, but someone said that people uh, overestimate how much they can achieve in a year and they underestimate how much they can achieve in 10 years. And sometimes we tend to forget that what we think when we look at others, what we see as overnight success, quote unquote, overnight success, it actually took a decade to get there. So when we finally take the decision that, right, we're going to change things, we're going to start eating healthily and go to the gym, we do it for a bit and we don't see the results fast enough and then we lose motivation. So we overestimate how much we can achieve in a year's time, but we underestimate how much we can achieve in 10 years if we actually put the effort little by little and we stuck with the process. Well, that's me, actually. I overestimate my goals on a daily basis and then I become frustrated or even uh, disappointed. Uh, but I realized the hard way that it's better to take baby steps and see little by little the progress and actually value every single step and enjoy every single step instead of always putting your thoughts to the future without reflecting on the efforts or even reflecting on the steps you have taken to, be to take better steps uh, in the future. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. You're very right. And I think, and I think it's applicable to me as well uh, in the sense that over the years, and especially in this transition from dentistry to psychology and coaching, I wanted things to happen sooner, a lot sooner. And thankfully, I had mentors who every so often would remind me that it's going to take more than you think. And I didn't like listening to it. It was a hard truth. And I was like, no, but I want to make it faster. And I want to prove to you all that it can't be done faster. And actually, like you say, um, I think it's best to take the slow road as well. Because the other thing that I am realizing is by taking the slow path, you also build knowledge and technical aspects and experience as you go along. If it were to be an overnight success, you would probably be overwhelmed because you wouldn't know what to do with it or how to handle it. So you studied dentistry. Uh, many people might have followed also uh, an academic path in order to succeed professionally. So now that you see yourself being a positive uh, psychology coach, 
And by having studied dentistry, would you say that is it more important to identify ourselves, our life goals, before we choose a degree? Should we consider that having an academic degree um, as not the ultimate goal of success? Thank you for this question. I want to speak to all the 18-year-olds listening to me now. Uh, Especially in our countries, Cyprus, Greece, you know, the Eastern Mediterranean countries, education is so important and it is so emphasized. The Western world, like the UK and the USA, have moved on a little bit. The education is important, but they have strong support systems, systems for entrepreneurship. So they encourage entrepreneurship as well. I think in our countries, we still have a lot of hurdles for people who want to be entrepreneurs. So academic success in Greece and Cyprus and the like, it's very important. And I wouldn't underestimate that. Um, for me, I value academic success. When I became a coach, I was struggling a lot, actually, with um, how I wanted to become a coach because there is because it's not a regulated profession just yet. So for me, it was very difficult. Where do I want to stand in this pool of coaches? And it's such a, a popular profession nowadays. So I took very long to decide that I actually wanted to become a coach of the highest standards. And that's why I did a master's degree, an academic one in positive psychology and coaching psychology. I am a person who values academia, who values evidence-based science, whether this is medicine or psychology. However, what I want to say to these 18-year-olds is that it's not the end of your life if you get it wrong at 18. <laughs> um, I chose to be a dentist. Uh, and it's, I say I chose to be a dentist because half the dentists in the dental school, they wanted to be doctors, but they didn't have high grades and, and they ended up being dentists. This is the reality. But uh, I actually wanted to be a dentist since I was 12. So you can't say this was my dream. I decided one day when I went to the dentist for the first time that I was fascinated by the bits and bobs that she put into my mouth. And I walked down the stairs. I was with my father and he even told me... Um, just a few years ago when I was saying to him that dentistry doesn't serve me as much anymore. But life takes turns that we don't expect. And there is nothing wrong with being a dentist. But when I lost my sister, it, it all seemed a bit vain to me. I, I, I couldn't find meaning in what I was doing anymore. It's not that I it's not that I hate dentistry, it's not that I don't like it. I still practice dentistry. I didn't know what I was doing. What I needed was a break from life, really. And that's why I left on a boat for so many months. And when I returned, I still practice dentistry, but gradually I developed a passion of helping others because I could see that I, my life had been transformed and I could see that there were so many others who were in those dark trenches that I was when I lost my sister. And they could use inspiring stories like mine to lift their spirits, to believe that something positive could come out of this tragedy that they are experiencing. So that's why I became a motivational speaker. And out of that, when I was giving motivational talks, people would then approach me at the end of the talks and they would say, you know, I'm so inspired by your, your talk. You make me hope and believe that I can get over this. Can you help me with that? And I couldn't because I was, I was just sharing my story. I didn't have any background. And that's why I then became a coach. I went to study coaching and positive psychology because then I, I didn't only want to inspire people, but I wanted to have the tools, the methodology, the knowledge, the scientific method behind it to help them. So that's why I went and did my master's. So Yes, academia is important. Degrees are important. But don't overstress yourself to know at 18 what you are supposed to be doing at the, at the rest of your life. You can change down the line. Your parents might not like it, but they'll survive. And you, so will you. And one day I was given a motivational talk to a group of girls that were in high school, 17. And uh, this was part of Women's Day, actually. And one of the teachers had invited me in the school just to speak to the girls and inspire them for the future and go after their dreams and not be scared to take the exams to define the future about, uh, you know, the final exam. Anyway, so I was sharing my story and I said that I'm a dentist and a speaker and a coach, da-da-da. 
And at the end, when we finished and everyone was gone, there was this young girl, 17, and she came up to me and she said, you know, I mean, I really love makeup. I do makeup like on my free time and I've got Instagram. I post loads of pictures with makeup. It's like, it's my passion. And, you know, I've done some brides as well. You know, I'm crazy about it. But, you know, I also want to study and be a teacher. Do you think one can be a teacher and a makeup artist? I was like, girl, yes. <laughs> You can be a teacher and a makeup artist. I never thought that I would say that I am a dentist, a motivational speaker, and a positive psychology coach. I didn't think these things would fit in one sentence. I didn't because, well, I'm a bit older generation than her. But when I grew up, I thought you picked a profession. This is what my parents passed on to me because that was their generation. You picked a profession and you stuck with it for the rest of your life. So that's what I thought. And this thought burdened me. For, for a long time, uh, not uh, not when I was choosing a profession because I wanted to be a dentist. I knew that I would probably be letting down my parents if I chose a different path or I wasn't skilled in anything else. What would I do? Or was it too late to change now? I was mid-30. And none of this matters, actually. I, I've learned through this transition that even if I was 50 and I decided that dentistry doesn't fit me anymore, I could still go and become a coach or a psychologist. And even if I was 70 and retired for, for five years, I could still say, you know what? I fancy being productive. Why don't I become a coach? There are no limits, really. And we shouldn't define ourselves by a number, age, or our profession. Pick whatever feels right at 18. Give it your all. Don't just quit. Stay with it for a bit. If it doesn't serve you in the long run, see what else you can do. A few months ago, I did a solo podcast, uh, which I titled as uh, The Torch and the Beacon, for some reason. Um, <laughs> I think that maybe this is the era of self-actualization for many people. The fact that we are exposed to plenty of information might be beneficial, of course, for those who can actually utilize such information. Um, the other day, I read a study on why undergraduate students choose to study academically. The most popular answers were to make their family happy and live away from their family. So how can we show to individuals not to fit into someone else's shoes? I think we can only show them by example. We can only inspire them. People are always going to want to fit in to a certain extent, not everyone. Uh, and actually, uh, people who don't care at all about others and they don't want to fit in have their own issues as well. I wouldn't go advising people just to do whatever they want without taking anybody, anybody else into consideration. But I would encourage people to try to listen to their authentic voice what their gut feeling is telling them. If, it, if something doesn't sit right within them, just listen to that voice. It's not always easy to do because there might be other reasons that come into place. Let's bring myself for an, an, as an example. I knew for a few years that dentistry was not really was what was making me happy. I wasn't doing it to please my parents. But I was doing it for financial reasons. I wasn't going to just quit because authentically I knew it wasn't sitting right. And sometimes you have to take a hit, quote unquote, for your um, grander purpose. So I wanted to have financial freedom so I can go travel the world and perhaps take a break from the career and maybe go study something else. So um, it's not always possible to just not care about society or what other people think or not want to fit in you just have to evaluate each situation I think as it comes and do try to listen to your authentic voice so if this voice is screaming dentistry is not for you then listen to that voice make a plan make a plan out of it don't just sit there and think about it for five years ten years and do nothing culture is very important for young people especially when it comes to identifying their life uh, dreams, their life goals. Entrepreneurship is not cultivated in our societies. It's not cultivated educationally. What should women do to thrive as entrepreneurs or in professions that are mostly exclusive to men? 
especially in a competitive environment where sex bias is still present? Well, I think, first of all, I don't think there is anything just exclusive to men. Men dominate most of business and uh, politics still. But there are many professions that women have kind of taken over. So, for instance, teaching professions. And we have a lot of women in science. I was reading an article and it said it's because of the pattern of work. It kind of fits around the cycle of life of women, let's say, especially if they become mothers. Um, academic work fits around uh, women's cycle. So entrepreneurship, though, um, in our countries is not encouraged whether you're a man or a woman. So that's one thing. <laughs> I think also, I think it has to do uh, also with the state of the economy of each country. So, for instance, countries like the UK or Australia or Canada or the States, and they have systems in place. So if you think about becoming an entrepreneur, you are going to have obstacles in becoming an entrepreneur and being visible and building a brand and all the rest. But some mechanisms are in place to make it easier for you. Now, I'll give you an example. I, I also worked in the UK as a dentist. I still work in the UK as a dentist for over a decade. Because the UK, bureaucratic as it is, it, it is a, a well-functioning society, economy, system, I've managed to find my way, never had to ask for any favors. I, I think I became quite established as a dentist in the UK with not much help in the sense of I didn't need to know people. I didn't need to have a network. My degree and my competency were enough. I'm trying to build a dental office in Cyprus now. And I come after 14 years of experience in the UK and I try to build a dental office, which is a solid job. You know, it's not like I'm trying to build, I don't know, you know, a, a silly business that might flop. I, I'm trying to build a, a, to build a well-established medical profession that people will always need. And I've got a decade and a half of experience and I've got the capital because I've worked in another country. So I come with all the credentials and I go to the municipality that I need to take the license from. It's been a year, back and forth, paperwork, incompetent workers, wrong information, double standards, asking for favors. I shouldn't have to do that to build a business, a sound medical business. There should be a straightforward system that helps me offer back to the society with entrepreneurship. So for one thing, in our countries, I think the establishment doesn't help entrepreneurship as it is, whether you're a man or a woman. So that's one thing. As a woman, in, in our countries in particular, but it's not like there are so many female entrepreneurs, but in our countries in particular, it's even harder because when I go to the municipality and I say, could you please help me and give me the right paperwork? They're like, yeah, just take that. But when my dad goes and he's like, this is the wrong paperwork, give my daughter the right paperwork, all of a sudden they listen. So this is the sort of sexism that we experience and people don't even know it. They, they wouldn't. So it's much harder for women, I would say, for many reasons. Uh, but it's not impossible. And the one thing that I'm very big on is networks. Network, network, network. Just build network with other women who are interested in entrepreneurship. Collaborate with them. You give and then they give something back. You know, grow each other's audiences, advertise each other. But you can be in mixed groups as well. Go to masterminds. There are tons of free stuff. You don't always have to pay. It was better in the days before COVID that we could actually go and mingle and talk to people. But in a sense, COVID made it easier in different ways. Like we would, we would have never connected if it was pre-COVID days. Like, um, or maybe we would have connected. I don't know. But now it's much more casual to just connect to someone online because you know that this is how it is now. So I would say just build networks, find other people who share the struggles you share, who maybe they're a little bit ahead of the game, so they can give you tips 
and also include people who are a bit behind in the game. And that will make you feel good that you're contributing to their path. So networks is my answer. You talked about the importance of our cultures in not supporting entrepreneurship. But then I thought sometimes when you have a society that highly demands something, then maybe the governments might follow as well. So, for example, if there is a great need for an entrepreneurship ecosystem, for an innovation ecosystem, as the one that is currently established now in Greece, was because there was a high demand of young entrepreneurs to have a framework to work within. Maybe the culture might change also through education because I don't think it's very easy um, for a society to change overnight. But if education promotes specific things, then younger generations will start thinking differently for many things. You -hmm. also mentioned networking that is important for women entrepreneurs. And I guess that networking is important for all entrepreneurs, regardless Mm -hmm. of their sex. But networking is something that is not taught in families or in schools or in universities. Yet, it is very important towards success, but also mentorship is important. And I'm wondering, for example, how women can help other women, let's say through mentorship, because I have seen many times women being unsupportive to other women, especially those in management, might see that other women need to go through the ritual they did to succeed. So I'm wondering if these women have lost their kindness, uh, and I'm not talking about favoritism, but then overall, how could women find the courage to lead and excel in their lives, professionally and personally, through networking, through maybe sometimes supportive women, unsupportive women or supportive men and unsupportive men. One of the things that I'll say is that, again, I mentioned it earlier, that where we focus our energy. So when we focus on the negative examples of other successful women who didn't help us or the criticism we received, we tend to see this more. But there are actually a lot more women and men who are willing to help other men and women who are a few steps behind them. And the majority, the majority want to help. I would say to anyone who is interested to just look online, go to Google and just say, you know, free mentorship programs. I'm currently involved in two worldwide free mentorship programs. So those programs, one is the Cherie Blair Foundation, uh, and you can apply. So nobody gets paid or pays. So, for instance, this is Cherie Blair, wife of Tony Blair. And they have a network of mentors. They don't get paid, but they get also training experience. And also they gain a lot for themselves. They, uh, They learn themselves better just by being mentors. So in any case... They have access to mentors and mentees can apply. I've been part of this program. I have been a mentee for a year and it has helped me a lot. And I was part of another program and this was from a bank. I was not even part of that bank. Um, It's my university suggested it. This was a program and then I applied and they accepted me. So then I had another year of mentorship with this program. So this is what I mean. When we focus on that one individual who treated us badly because they, whatever reason, then we tend to generalize and think, well, why does this happen? And we feel injustice and we feel upset. Whereas if we took our focus and we just said, well, that's just about that one person. What about the others? Maybe other people want to help and find that mentorship. Why not? And then we can become mentors ourselves to others. And by mentoring others, we learn better the things that we've gone through as well. So that's one thing that I would say, just try to find mentorship. But the other thing that I wanted to say when you set that example, I wanted to I wanted to put it out there that we should be mindful uh, 
for judging women in higher positions because women also women in lower ranks let's say judge harshly women on the upper ranks and when a woman goes even higher we judge them even more and both men and women judge them this is a you know there are, there have been a lot of um, studies around that and we expect from them more they ex- we expect them to be competent but also warm and uh, approachable and when they're not warm and approachable we criticize them whereas if it was a man and he was being a little bit of a you know not a nice person let's say maybe we wouldn't like it but perhaps we wouldn't have been so harsh with them and expect him to help us but we expect that from women so it's not just about those women not wanting to help us but how much expectations do we have from those women who are higher up why should we have any expectations why should they help us just because they're women you know they don't know us anything um i'm not saying being mean but i'm just saying be mindful of the fact that women and men tend to judge more harshly women on top absolutely true because we are not used to women in power and even us as women we are used to predominantly male authority so we are used to that style so when we see another woman uh, holding a management position we might think that yes is going to feel more like us so we talked about identifying our goals positive thinking finding opportunities instead of focusing on the negative aspects and taking baby steps enjoying mm-hmm. every single moment in life so one question before we finish our wonderful conversation memnia why does the pandemic offers us a unique opportunity to redefine our life goals and dreams <laughs> Well, for once, we are forced to stop. <laughs> we were forced to stop, especially in the first lockdown. Uh, we were forced to pause and think. And we were also, I think, forced to rethink what is important to us. If we lost everything else in the world, what matters to us? You know, we, we've lost our daily routines and some people have lost their health. So when things like this ha- like these happen it just makes us wonder what is important to us and what uh, can we not stand anymore you know like it it helps us make a point of well I can't stand going back to that you know I've seen I can have this life or you know I've I've had enough and especially when these bad situations come to rethink what is really really important to you any it forces you to pause and think because we had a long break especially the for, the first lockdown we had a very very long break at home doing not much apart from enjoying ourselves with the loved ones if we were lucky enough to have people in the same house like us so i think it's a combination of things as well because this pandemic has also be, been named or called as a collective trauma and for a lot of people it has been a traumatic experience and like any trauma it has the potential of transforming us and is you know just to go back to let's say my own experience if it wasn't for my trauma i wouldn't have gone and seeked to find meaning on a sailing boat and i wouldn't have transformed my life so trauma when we experience it is is not great it's painful uh, it's uncomfortable uh, but within it lies the potential to actually help us transform our lives and rethink how we want to be in the world so long as we make the right thoughts instead of just negative thoughts that put us down and in, instead of that if we try to think what has this taught us what could we have done better who would we like to be in the future how do we envision our lives this collective trauma has the potential of changing our lives thank you memnia for the great and so educational discussion at many levels <laughs> thank you for having me 
Thank you also for accepting the Global Greek Influence Podcast invitation and allowing us to know you better and to know better your work. Well, thank you very much for having me. And may I just add for who, anyone who wants or is interested to see what I do, they can find me at my website, which is memniatheodoro.com. Or if you like social media, I'm everywhere, obviously, but I am most active on Facebook on my page, Dr. Memnia Theodoru, um, motivational speaker coach. So you can find me there. I post all my events and seminars and obviously everything is online now. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world because all the webinars happen via Zoom. But on Facebook, I have got a group. This is a Greek group. It's for women only. It's for women empowerment. It's called Pistepseoti Boris. Believe that you can. So it just goes to show how much we need these networks and that we should not, you know, don't feel discouraged or disheartened. There are out there a lot more people who actually want to help. So if you look hard enough, you will find them. I would like once again to thank you very much. I hope this discussion will be a starting point and a trigger to many self-search, reflection, making decisions and redefining our future selves. We will be back soon with exciting guests. Next Sunday, we will examine with Dr. Valentini Papa from Texas A&M University how energy meets equality and building the future. On the following Sunday, with Yorgo Haridimarkakis, the Secretary General of Hydrogen Europe, about the future and leadership of the hydrogen economy in Europe. To listen to more interesting guests and a unique perspective into current and timeless matters, please subscribe, like, and leave your comments to the Global Greek Influence Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, and four more podcasting platforms, as well as to the podcast, Facebook, and Twitter accounts. Stay tuned for another interesting and exciting discussion next Sunday.